Uh, man, I don't know. I love this. I, and I don't love this for the reasons you think. I love this because, are we on YouTube? Somebody's saying not on YouTube. We got to be on YouTube. If we're not on YouTube, I think I'll cry. <sighs> Several Tampa Bay Rays players said, hey, look, we're not wearing the Pride logo. And I applaud them. Look, I thought they handled it very well. They said, we got no problem. It's inclusive. Got no problem with anybody. But for religious reasons, we don't feel like, you know, we want to wear it on our person. Now, in the Catholic faith, homosexuality is a sin. I just had a friend of mine tell me, hey, look, uh, people sin. And if you believe that and you don't want to wear the thing, good for them. Serious, I, I look, I'd wear, I wouldn't really care, I don't think. But it's not up to me, it's up to them. And they said no. And I'll tell you this, you know, that's the headline right there, right? That's the headline. But I thought Kevin Kiermeyer and all of the people involved with the Tampa Bay Rays uh, handled it very well. They said, look, we're inclusive, we got no problem with anybody. We want you to come to the ballpark. Not only that, we want you to be comfortable at the ballpark. But this is just simply how we roll as individuals. I got no problem. I know we're supposed to. I know. Uh, Listen, a a guy named Jason Adams said it's a hard decision because ultimately we all said what we want is them to know that they are all welcome and loved here. Now, you're going to get mad because they say they. Well, you know what he's talking about, so don't parse words and get mad about something that is inconsequential to the entire conversation. That's what folks do, but don't. Listen to what he's saying and see if you agree or disagree. It's that simple. Nobody has to be, well, he said they. I'm offended. Shut up. Uh, But when we put, all right, because ultimately we all said what we want is them to know that all are welcome and loved here. But when we put it on our bodies, I think a lot of guys decided it's just a lifestyle that maybe, not that they look, not that they look down on anybody or think differently. It's just that maybe we don't want to encourage it. If we believe in Jesus, who's encouraged us to live a lifestyle that would abstain from that behavior. It's not judgmental. It's not looking down. It's just what we believe, the lifestyle he's encouraged us to live for our good, not to withhold. But again, we love these men and women. We care about them. We want them to feel safe and welcome here. Now, that's reasonable. Everybody doesn't just have to go along. This isn't a communist country. So they decide, look, all right. Kevin Kiermeyer said, it's one of those things my parents taught me to love everyone as they are. Go live your life. Whatever your preferences are, go be you. And that sounds reasonable. And Kevin wore it. So, you know. Uh, at the end of the day, they, uh, yeah. That's reasonable. Yeah, I, I know there's going to be articles. And I know that we, we must cancel these heathens. No, I agree with them. If you don't feel like doing it, if it goes against what you believe as a Christian, then don't do it. And good for you for standing up. I'll always support people that stand up. As long as it's legit. As long as it's not, you know, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a fundraiser. You know, the head of Black Lives Matter all of a sudden living in mansions, taking everybody's donations and being a fraud. You can't do that. But hey, look, if that's what you believe, then God bless you. Seriously. What's wrong with that?
Well, I'm sure, you know, the psychotic folk, oh, my God, you're homophobe. Nobody's a homophobe. People just have different beliefs. Uh, nowhere does it say that we're all supposed to believe the same thing, at least in my world. No, I, I don't want us to all believe the same thing. It's not any fun. We should all have different beliefs. We should all have different thoughts. We should all be able to stand up for what we believe, and not just because, you know, you're in the 0.02% or 0.5% or 0.10%, whatever. No, everybody gets to have a say. And I'm sure there's something in there that offended the world because there's always, you parse things. I can see it happening. I can see the parsing coming. I parse this. <laughs> uh, Rafael Nadal is a stud. Rafael Nadal reminds me a little bit of myself, if you want to know the truth. Uh, Rafa is one of those guys that you just simply can't bet against. I mean, I'm sorry. You just can't, particularly Clay. Now, he may be 127 years old, but I don't know if you saw this. He's got a foot that fell asleep. He won his 22nd Grand Slam title. And even if you don't like Rafa Nadal, you got to admire how hard he goes at the business of his business. Like, that dude goes hard. He won his 14th. French Open. Now, he is the best French Open tennis player, clay tennis player in the history of tennis. But here's what he did. He beat some Norwegian named Casper Rud, 6-3, So what he did in a final, now this is in a final, all right? Uh, in a final, he made the other finalist quit. Now, I want you to think about that. He's 36 years old. Now, again, he's the favorite. I get it. They love him there. He's got the crowd behind him. But, look, it's one thing on a side court, I don't know, not even a quarterfinal, third round, whatever, to make a dude quit. But this is the French Open final. For those of you that don't know, the French Open is a Grand Slam event. You go, what do you got? The Australian Open, the U.S. Open, French Open, and Wimbledon. Unbelievable. They made a dude quit at 36 years old. Dude said, yeah, I'm no good. I six zip. I'm out. That's what he did. It's exactly what he did. It's unbelievable. It is. It's, it, I love it. I, look, I don't watch tennis every day. But I will watch Wimbledon. I will watch the U.S. Open. I went out and bought a tennis racket 100 years ago when Jimmy Connors was on a roll, pumping his fist, and, you know, he's like 50 years old. I think he's 40. Going back and playing dudes. My buddy Billy Mueller and I, we got tennis rackets. I got, you know, still got the same racket. I don't even make them anymore. I think it's a Prince racket. Sometimes you get inspired, and Rafa Nadal has inspired me. Not that I'm going to play tennis. I'm fat. Uh, but anyway... I wish I would, but Nadal won. I'm happy about it, and tennis got interesting. It just did. I'm sorry. So, uh, Dan, before Pop hates on white men too much, he should take a stroll through a military cemetery. Well, one thing about Pop, he is a military guy. He kind of led a bunch of dudes out of northwest Indiana to go to the Air Force Academy. I think he graduated from there. There was a couple guys that didn't, but I think he did. I assume he did. So he knows about the military. 
But you got to, hey, look, you got to hand it to Pop. He's found a niche. He and, he and Curry have found a niche. When you can't win jack squat since you had, you know, Robinson and Duncan and Ginobili and Parker and that crew, he hasn't won anything. You got to start talking, and he's doing some talk. So good for him. Quinn Snyder resigned yesterday as the head coach of the Utah Jazz. Now, I don't know whether he resigned or got fired, but I got to tell you something. I admire dudes that can resign. Like, I'm at an age where I'm working every freaking job that I can find. Like, I, I, I love this job, and I love my radio job. But, hell, I've been door dashing. I do Saturday mornings on Sirius XM. I love that, too. I mean, I've never really had a job. But I admire dudes that can just walk away from millions of dollars. I do. And maybe, and I'm assuming so, I'm assuming Quinn Snyder has something else lined up. Like, I'm assuming this. Like, I I don't know. Or maybe he's just had enough. But I got to tell you, honest to God, millions of dollars to coach hoops? Yeah, it's a tough job, but name me one that isn't. This. This is great. (laughs) Name me one that isn't. Everybody says, well, you know, that's a tough job, really. Teaching six foot ten guys to put a ball through a hoop. Well, you're teaching life lessons. Eh, not in the NBA. And of course, Donovan Mitchell is unnerved. I'm unsettled. I'm unnerved. All right. Uh, Donovan Mitchell's a stud, but he's unnerved. I'm unnerved. What does unnerved mean? As an adult male or an adult female, what does unnerved mean? Like, can I not? I don't know. What does it mean? He's unnerved. Uh, He considered Snyder a significant part of his reasoning for committing to a five-year max deal in 2020. Surprised, disappointed, unnerved. Yeah, well, life's a bitch, man. Sometimes the forty million or thirty million they're paying you to put a ball through a hoop, it'll unnerve you. That's how I look at it. I'm sorry. I know we're supposed to look at it like I don't even know, but hey, man, I got Malcolm Brogdon in my town playing like a third of the games, making thirty million. Also in my town, I got the CEO of Lilly making about a third of that. That don't make no sense to me, but that's all right. Mitchell has four years on 130. $5 million contract, but oh my God, I'm unnerved. I don't know what to do. I only got... Shut up. Seriously, just shut up. Honest <laughs> God. And maybe he wasn't saying it. You know, maybe... May, look, maybe maybe Donovan Mitchell's just being described as that, which I think he probably is, but my God. I don't care how the world goes. I don't care. I don't, I don't, I will, hey, I may die during this show. Every day's a gift in my world, but I'll tell you right now, I don't want anybody thinking I'm soft as hell. I know that goes against the world's grain. I understand that we're all supposed to be open and vulnerable. I don't want anybody thinking I'm soft. I don't want anybody slapping me without me knocking the living hell out of them. It's got me in trouble on Twitter, frankly, because I've been taught to fight back. I'm unnerved. This show's got me unnerved. Oh my God, I don't know what to do. What do I do? I don't know. I I mean, I, I don't know. Wish I could cuss on this show. 
Uh, lastly, Fitzmagic. Fitzmagic out. Went to Harvard. Now, if you've been to Harvard, you understand, like, football is probably one bazillionth down the list. Played 17 seasons, nine years. Or, excuse me, 17 years, nine teams. That's pretty good, man. He had, this sounds bad. Ready for this? A season-ending hip subluxation, subluxion. Second quarter, season opener, arthroscopic surgery, made $10 million last year, 17 seasons, started 147 games, basically 35,000 yards, 223 touchdowns, 169 interceptions. Good for him, man. He started games for all nine of his teams, which is a record in the NFL. Good for Fitz Magic. I hope he's not unnerved. He never made the playoffs. How about that? I did not know that. Wow. All right. Uh, let's see. With the Buffalo Bills, he was 20 and 33. All right. Well, Fitzmagic gone. 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 Gone like a freight train. Gone like yesterday. I like Fitzmagic. Uh, I don't know. I would love to see what Fitzmagic looks like without his beard. It's like James Harden. I want to see what you look like. Would you be that interesting without your beard? I think you would because he went to Harvard. I think he would. I think if you go to Harvard, you're automatically interesting. I have a stepdaughter who goes to Harvard. She's interesting. Every time I go to Harvard, I hang out with a guy, a homeless guy who's writing a book. He's right there on the square. Got a beard, he's in a wheelchair, and when you look at what he's writing, it's really interesting. I, he doesn't let you look at it, but I talked to him a couple times, and he's like, yeah, I'm writing a book. I go, what are you writing a book on? He goes, know your business. I said, all right, how you doing? He goes, I'm doing good. That's about, a, that's about the extent of our conversation. But I guarantee he's a hell of a lot more interesting than Donovan Mitchell or Popovich whining about whatever it is they're whining about. <sighs> When we come back, I'm on one today, and I love it. Hey, when we come back, I got I ain't mad about it. You know our segment here. I am not mad about it. I ain't mad about it, which is basically something that happens, something that has happened that I just simply ain't mad about. You might be mad about it, but I ain't mad about it. When we come back, I ain't mad about it. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. I told you we were going to talk about Jordan Poole. Did you see Jordan Poole last night? Jordan Poole with the Golden State Warriors hits one from half court. Jordan Poole, he's all about that sass. He's all about that sauce. He's all about balling, man. The dude from Michigan can big time ball. He played at Michigan. That dude can ball. And I mean really ball. And now here's what you got to understand about Jordan Poole. When Jordan Poole was at Michigan, people didn't really like him. They, they thought he was all right, except what has two thumbs like Jordan Poole? This guy. That's right. I'm sitting there, sweet as you please, doing a game. And some guy named Mike Schmitz, who by the way, just became some kind of assistant GM in the, with the Portland Trailblazers. But they tell us during the Michigan-Wisconsin game, you got to have Mike Schmitz on. I asked, who the hell is Mike Schmitz? Uh, He's our ESPN 
Uh, what's the right word? He's our ESPN draft expert. I go, yeah, what makes him an expert? They said, ah, he's friends with Woj. True story. I go, all right. So Schmitz is on. I'm annoyed because, look, the broadcast should be about me. But anyway, Schmitz gives his list about the best players coming up in the 2019 NBA draft, and I think uh, out of the Big Ten. And I think his list is complete crap. He's got Romeo Langford first. No. Romeo Langford can't play dead. But anyway, so what do I do? I'm annoyed. I'm on TV. I'm going to say, my hey, Dan, what do you think? I go, look, great list. But the best guy in this draft from the Big Ten is right there, and I pointed at Jordan Poole. So that's the best guy. Now let me explain to you why. First and foremost, he can shoot it, and he can shoot it deep, and he doesn't have a conscience. Second of all, he's about six foot seven, long arm, and handles a ball like a damn guard. Third, he cares about basketball. Like Romeo Langford came out of Indiana, I called him shoe guy because he cared more about the Nike contract that his daddy got from hosting an AAU tournament and all that stuff. And I remember when Brad Stevens, Danny Age, and the Celtics drafted Romeo Langford. What are you doing? All anybody's got to do is call me. I'll tell you. I told you all Christmas Porzingis couldn't play because he had bad eyes. I was on with a dude. What's the guy's name? Thought he knew the NBA. Didn't know his ass. Ryan Russillo. I'm like, yeah, he got bad eyes. Whoever drafts him is never getting out of the lottery. No, he's great. He's seven foot three. He's a unicorn. Okay, he's a unicorn. He's got bad eyes. It means he's not very good. It means he'll never get out of the lottery. Guess what? New York Knicks drafted him. Never got out of the lottery. Told you Paul George was a fraud. Paul George is a fraud. Watch it. Look at his playoff numbers in big games. Fraud. He'll get some numbers in other games. Fraud. I can't do this all the time. Told you De'Aaron Fox would have been way better. Told you the number one pick in the draft should have been Justin Tate or Jason Tatum. I can't do this all the time for everybody. It's why, not, honest to God, every, uh, not every, but most, if not all, NBA teams call me this time of year. Just got off the phone with two of them last night. They call me because they know that I know. You know the only team that doesn't call me is the Pacers, my hometown team, dummies. But anyway, that's why the Pacers stink. Well, that's not why the Pacers stink, but they do stink. And they should call me because, well, if you ask me, I'm a damn genius. But I ain't mad about being right about Jordan Poole. I ain't mad about it even a little bit because nothing pisses me off more than the gurus. The gurus will make you nuts. The gurus will tell you how the draft should go. And then when it doesn't go, they get mad at the teams that draft. I'm like, Mike Schmitz, who, what is this? What? what, what? Well, you know, he's, he's Woj's buddy. Oh, okay. What does that mean? That mean it's carte blanche to just come into ESPN and then and then and Guy didn't know his ass from third base. But I'll tell you what, he's parlayed and he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. He's a really nice kid, Schmitz. So now he's getting a golden opportunity with the Portland Trailblazers to fool them too. I don't know if being Woj's buddy. Hey, Woj, I love you, baby. I want to be your buddy. All right, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Anybody criticizing Mark Jones, I ain't mad about. Now, let's be honest. Most of you, 99.9% of you, have no idea who Mark Jones is. Mark Jones is the guy that keeps on trying. Jam posse, chopping it up, 
Now he's hotter than fish grease. He's trying so damn hard. He's trying so damn hard to do something somehow anywhere where somebody will pay attention to him. I work with Mark. He's a nice enough dude. It's all right. But man, the dude tries hard. Like, I'm hotter than fish grease. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that's, is that, that, that's hot. Uh, they said Mark Jones was handled a historic fourth quarter. He didn't live up to it. No, nah, he's bad at what he does. So this is Mark Jones's history. Mark Jones, when told that Rush Limbaugh had died, he said, rotten hell. He falsely reported that police killed Jacob Blake. He cheered when a known conservative basketball player tore his knee. Mark Jones, and then the most famous of the Mark Jones stupidity. Now, this is a dude that gets police escorts by white policemen. This is a dude that married a white woman. This is a dude that had pictures taken with these white policemen who absolutely 1,000%, he is saying, protected him and how appreciative he is of them. All right? Well, Mark Jones then said later on, I told the white policemen, I didn't need them to protect me. I don't need to get shot in the back. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Is that right? Oh, really? Uh, all right. Okay. Um, he says that police are more likely to shoot black people dead than protect him. Police never helped me, Mark Jones said. Uh, Jason Whitlock, had a great line. Uh, I'm not going to lie, Mark Jones said. I love our police escorts to the sta- to the stadium. Saves us a good 40 minutes waiting in traffic. All right? Traffic never looks so good. He's bragging about all these police escorts, like he's done it numerous times. And then when he fit his narrative, Mark Jones didn't want the police because he was going to get shot in the back. Anybody criticizing Mark Jones is good by me, baby. And if Mark Jones calls you, you should see what the people at ESPN text me about Mark Jones. It's really funny. I'm sorry, but it is. And I would never uh, break a trust, but it's really, because everybody knows. Mark's trying, and I'll tell you this, uh, the other day, man, oh, man, I, I... I was reading or listening to a, I guess it was a podcast, and I don't know who's friends with who, so I'm just going to tell you what I was listening to. I, I, was, <laughs> I was listening to Jason Whitlock, and I wish I could find the name that he used because it was so freaking good. I wanted to, like, it's called, like, social justice fraud. or I don't know. It was really good, and I loved it. And I'm like, that's Mark Jones, baby. That is Mark Jones. All of a sudden, wait a second. Uh, I want to be part of the, the victimazi. Social media actor vist. 
That's the best thing I've heard. It's exactly what it is. You ever see them white dudes with the beards? Social media activists. Everything's wrong in our country. The sky, the moon, the stars, inflation. Well, inflation is wrong with our country. The water, the culture, the, whatever. Social media activist. Me likey the term a lot. I do. USA Today, that hard-hitting, yay-rah, go-fight-win newspaper that houses America's worst, I guess he's a journalist, Dan Wolken, got all bent out of shape. They got bent out of shape. There was a Marlboro carton in the dugout. Oh, my God, think of the children. Oh, my God, Campbell University in the regional. Think of the children. They're going to see a Marlboro cart. You know, hey, look, where I play softball, you know what you see in the ground? We, I call it Condom Park because first time I played softball at this park, there's a condom sitting right there on third base. You know what? Oh, God, a carton of Marlboros. Oh, how could we let this happen? The poor children. The poor children. What are we going to do? Oh, my God, they saw a carton of cigarettes. And, oh, my God, are those players smoking? Tell you what I did when I played baseball in Indiana. I had a lipper out this big. Got suspended in high school, chewing tobacco. Father Kaufman, Doc, Mr. Dockage, is that chewing tobacco? Yeah, buddy. You must sit out a game. Okay. What are you going to do? We get so upset about the dumbest things. Uh, so now we found out. Now we found out. Um, <laughs> we found out it was a prop. You know how baseball teams use things? Every team uses something as a superstitious prop. I don't know what the hell the prop was, but I ain't mad about it. Hey, look, I wouldn't be mad about it if he had a carton of smokes in there and a lighter next to it. I wouldn't. You guys can be mad. But, of course, that hard-hitting newspaper, the USA Today, ESPN shows Marlboro cigarette package in the dugout during the tournament. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? Hey, man, I wouldn't care if the third base coach was lighting a heater right during the game. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We'll play baseball. But the children. Yeah, well, they'll be all right. They'll be fine. I'm pretty sure they'll be good. I don't give a rat's. I used to, I suppose. Like when I was coaching, I know I did. And ESPN, they got to know if you're Campbell, what are you smoking? You're smoking camels, no filter. You're not messing around. Campbell University, those guys are tough, man. Those guys are tough. Yeah. And some, you know, some guy's mad about it. I'd be mad about it. Who cares? Look, you know what this is? That's Jim Leland smoking a heater in the locker room or in the dugout. Oh, my God, we're an evolved society. Then stop selling cigarettes. Stop selling them legally. You don't want cigarettes shown on your TV? Don't sell them. Seems to me fairly reasonable. What? Well, it's not the same. You don't understand. I, I don't. I, let's just do this. 
Let's just assume that I don't understand anything. All right? You don't understand, Doc. It's, you're right. I don't. All right? You know what else I ain't mad about? I am not mad, and I will talk about it for all time. I ain't mad about the Women's College World Series. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. I'll say it forever. I love the Women's College World Series. Uh Uh-oh. I'm just telling you. That's what we got. The World's College World Series, the Women's College World Series is freaking awesome. Awesome. Not kind of good. No, no. 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 Great. Why? It's like this. It's like packaged. The the field is smaller than a big time, you know, big big baseball field. Everybody's enthused. Like there is no sulking. Watch a college basketball game. I don't know what happened. I don't know. Hey, look, get mad at me. Doesn't matter to me. But all I know is this. All I know is when you watch a basketball game, inevitably you'll see dudes sulking. That's the college basketball pose. Coach talking to you, player. Man, women's softball, these ladies are jumping over fences. They're hitting bombs. They're running it out. They're throwing 71, which is akin to 100. The dugouts are insane. The coach is being interviewed. The girls are behind them holding up nerd packages. They got headsets made out of paper cuts. They're always lively, always cheering, always going, and I love it. And the talent level is massive. I mean, the talent level is huge. They throw it, they pick it, they catch it, they jump over fences, they hit bombs, they steal bases, they dive for balls. It is great. And it's all right in here. It's not out here. It shows up fantastic on television. I don't mean kind of, sort of, maybe good. I mean it shows up on TV spectacularly good. And I am here for it every damn night. The finals are going to be Friday, and, or excuse me, Wednesday, and I'm not happy about it. I want it to go on and on and on and on. I don't want it to slow down. I think it's fantastic. I think it's great. My wife had the opportunity to play in it. I always brag on my wife because she's a freaking stud. I love the College World Series. The Women's College World Series. Men's is good, too. Don't get me wrong. Again, just because you talk about one, uh, ladies and gentlemen, doesn't mean you dislike the other. I like them both. In fact, I like them both a lot. But I love me the College World Series. I mean, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And I ain't mad about it. Don't at me. Do not at me. Uh, Max Scherzer got bit by his dog. And I got to tell you, I ain't mad about it. I know we're not supposed to get bit by our dogs. I know, you know what, you're making $8 bazillion. He got bit by a dog. He's downplaying it. But, of course, jackasses all around the country got to believe they're more. And this is an awesome picture that's on our screen right now. Max is trying to throw a high, hard one. 
and the dog, Fufu or Fifi or Fifi or whatever the hell the dog's name is, decides he's going to take a hunk right in mid-pitch. How good are my guys? How good is Dylan and the crew right now? Rafi is the name of the dog. Remember Rafi the singer? He was good. He kept my kids entertained. But anyway, just clearing up a few things, Scherzer says. My dog Rafi hurt her leg on a run. She was howling in pain. I went to calm her down by putting my hands on her. Oh, my God, he put his hands on a dog. What are we going to do, Scherzer? That's abuse. Don't you know you don't put your hands on anything? Isn't that the way half of y'all react? Fortunately, uh, when I did, she bit my right hand. Bite the left hand, D-O-double-G. Fortunately, it wasn't a bad bite. It took one day off from throwing. It was able to toss, long toss the next day. So I have no effect on my rehab, and it's literally a non-story. Which means to some of you, this is a story. It's Shakespearean, really. He doth protest too much. Nah, just got bit by his freaking dog. I had a dog the other day come across this creek over here. I'm like, hey, come get your damn dog. I ain't touching dogs, though. I barely touched my own dog. See, Donkage hates dogs. Uh, I don't hate dogs, but I ain't dog crazy dog crazy dog guy. Anyway... I ain't mad about Scherzer getting bitten by a dog. I said this earlier. I'm going to say it again. Look at me. It's ugly, but look at me. It's okay to be okay. You don't have to be a victim. All right? I don't know if what they put up there is like a white supremacy sign. Remember a few years ago? Until until freaking uh, what's his face started knocking in threes, right? And then he you know he was doing that, and everybody said, "Oh, it's threes. It's not a white supremacy sign, right?" I, again, I don't know, but you got to be careful on everything. But ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's okay to be all right. I get it, it's okay not to be all right, but you know you don't have to make something up. Like if you're doing well and you're enjoying your life and you worked hard for where you're at, how about you just simply Look around and go, you know what? I like it. We all have this tendency to downplay things. Like, I, 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 I host a radio show, Noon to Three, and other guys on our show are always like, well, I'm just a hillbilly from the Yeah, well, I'm not. You know, I, I, you know, I don't want to be just a host. I want to make a difference. I want to have influence. I want to use this platform to build it as big as we can. That's what I want to do. You know, and I'm, not unapo- I'm unapologetic about that. I don't want to just be a local radio host. I love being a local radio host, but that's not what I just want to be. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I get it. The whole woe is me thing sells. It makes you like a real, I guess, dude. And I can do that if you'd like. Woe is me. I suck. I'm not any good. Blah, blah, blah. blah. Eh, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Sit up straight, stand up tall, speak loudly, and screw everybody. Not literally, figuratively. It's okay to be okay. Ain't a damn thing wrong with being okay. Ain't a damn thing wrong with being successful. Ain't a damn thing wrong. Not even a little bit. Uh, Don't come down to others' level. This is the problem we have right now in our country. We're continually coming down to levels. My wife made a point yesterday. She goes, do we have standards anymore? Do we even have standards around this country? I didn't do it. Hell, you want to do shoot people up. 
And I'm not just talking about it in schools. Look at some of the videos around the world here. Look at some of the videos around Chicago. Look at some of these things, man. Chattanooga the other day. I mean, everywhere we're shooting. You know, do we even have standards? So don't be afraid if you have standards. I ain't mad if you have standards. You should have standards. We all should have standards. What the hell are we doing? What, what, are we all supposed to be victims? Are we all supposed to be, hey, if you're a victim, then fine, you're a victim. But I got to tell you, I mean, I like having standards. I do. And I'm not going to, I'm unapologetic for it. I am. I'm sorry. This I love. I don't know if we can play the video. The video's a little jumpy. But a high school senior signed a letter of intent to work at a plumbing company in a ceremony. Look, I know we're not supposed to think this way, but I think different than you. This kid, I'm going to read this. Montgomery County High School senior Jacob Bradley held a letter of intent ceremony, typically something only done for athletes, to sign with a local plumbing company. Though a letter of intent is typically held when a high school athlete announces where they'll go to college, one Kentucky high schooler had his own to sign with a plumbing company. According to WDKY, Jacob Bradley, Montgomery County high school senior, signed a letter of intent to join Fast Flow Plumbing after his graduation this month. He'll join the company as an apprentice, work under a master plumber for two years before earning his journeyman's license. It's just more of my style. He told the station, I was never really wanting to be an accountant or sit down. I enjoy working with my hands a lot and just the environment and those type of people. The ceremony, which took place May 18th, was the first non-athletic signing ceremony for the high school. I love this. I don't like this. I love this. This is something that we have done several times for our athletes who are attending college, but this is something new here at Monroe County, and I hope, Montgomery County, and I hope it will continue. His mother said, uh, my, his dad and I are just over the moon. He's a great kid. We're very lucky. There you go. There you go. <clears throat> See, According to U.S. News and World Report, plumbers on average make a salary of fifty-six thousand, while some earn seventy-five thousand. You know, guy, guy going into college, uh, he make one hundred fifty thousand minimum. That's just in, you know, his scholarship. So good for this kid, man. This is awesome. It's one of the best things I saw this whole time. Is there anything more ridiculous, anything, than when you get on Twitter? And some little slap from uh, BFE High School says, blessed and honored to receive my first scholarship offer from St. Norbert State. Blessed and honored to receive my 75th scholarship offer from Joey Bag of Donuts U of St. Mary's. And I know you're going to say, well, Dan, it's just kids, you know. Yeah, good, but it annoys me. It does. May not annoy you. May make me a shallow person. Probably does. Who's to say that I'm not? But I'm glad. I like that right there. I like that. Like, my high school, when I signed a basketball scholarship to go to Indiana, I was the first player out of our high school to sign with a Division I school. 
At least that's what they told me. I don't know. School wasn't that old. 1959, I, I was in 1980. So what was it, 21 years, 22 years? I was 81. They're like, hey, let's have a ceremony. I go, hey, let's not. <laughs> go, really? I go, yeah. I mean, you know, the school's like, well, you know, it's Catholic school. We, we, we got to recruit. We want to roll. And I go, that's great. But no, we're not. I got a baseball game. What do you mean? I go, yeah, we're playing Highland. We lost that day. We only lost like four games my senior year, but we lost that day. And uh, Jim Cruz, the assistant coach, came to my house, had a piece of paper. I signed it. He left. I went upstairs. I took a shower and did some homework. Let's have a signing day for you. No, uh, let, let's, let's not. Let's, let's not. You know what I mean? Let's just not do that. These guys, no, I pick up a hat. I'm going to fake you out. I wonder. It's called the Tamar Bates rule. There's a kid that's playing in Indiana named Tamar Bates. Tamar Bates comes into Indiana, and I saw in a video, he comes in, everybody's in there working, he acts like he owns the joint, right? First year, he can't play. Coach doesn't trust him to play. So I call it the Tamar Bates rule. You know, when you come to a college program, you should be hungry and humble. Shouldn't act like you own the place. Should be very hungry and very humble. You should. It's what you should do. And if you don't want to do it, don't do it. But I'm just saying. So all these guys, I would be curious that the idiots that pick up a fake hat and then do all that, I wonder how they really do in college. The bigger question is, I wonder how they really do in life. But I love that this kid signed with a plumbing company. Why not? Uh, next year, I'm going to take my talents to Gemco Constructors. That's right. Or get two hats, this construction company, that construction company, and just make a joke of the whole thing. Remember, my college announcement is going to be on ESPN. Who cares? I saw a kid the other day, basketball player, going to Ohio State. You know, he got on campus. Hey, Blake, hey, Columbus, I'm here. What's good? How we feeling? You're 18 years old. Shut up. That's how we're feeling. I mean, make a few buckets, do something good, then we're feeling good. But until then, eh, it's just me. You may have a different take. I may be a bad guy, but you know what? I ain't mad about it. I ain't mad about any of these. I love the plumber ceremony. All right, we come back. We got our friend Doug Gottlieb going to jump on here. Gottlieb's going to talk NBA playoffs, and I am very much looking forward to it. Gottlieb's the best. You hear him on Fox. I don't listen to many people. I'll listen to Greenberg, Frischilla, and Gottlieb, uh, and, and I like Lafonso. And that's about it when it comes to hoops. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't listen. If you haven't coached, I ain't listening. If you haven't been a head coach, I really ain't listening to you. Gottlieb knows more than most. We'll talk to Gottlieb when we come back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Look, there's only, I say this every time Doug comes on, there's only a few people I listen to or want to listen to talk hoops. And Doug Gottlieb is one of them. You hear him every day, Fox Sports Radio. Hey, uh, big time, what did we learn out of the first two games of this series? Did we learn anything? Um, yeah. Um, I think... Let's start with Golden State. Pretty obvious that we can't play Andre Godal anymore. We may see him 
You may see him late in the series for a minute or two, but that experiment, he went from playing way too many minutes to last night they played 13 guys for the Warriors. He wasn't one of them. <laughs> um, but, but there's been just extreme, right? Boston doesn't shoot it as well as they shot it specifically in the fourth quarter in game one, but they also aren't going to shoot it as poorly as they shot it most of the game yesterday, right? Um, when, when somebody other than Steph Curry, like a Jordan Poole, gives Golden State a lift, it feels, it feels like they're unstoppable. They're not. There's, they're, they're, there's some pedestrian elements to this team. Uh, they really only have Steph in terms of breaking down a defense. Maybe Andrew Wiggins can. He just can't make a layup. But I think when Steph gets a little bit of help, uh, it, it eases some of that burden, some of that tension. And right, so far, it hasn't been Clay Thompson. So I think you've had two extremes from Boston. Um, and I think Golden State has shown some of their weaknesses, but also their ability to adjust. There were some lineup changes last night. I thought Gary Payton gave them great energy, but also it was a change of lineup, which made them much more athletic and really sparked them in the second quarter. And then they did their traditional third quarter run, which really was the, the game ender. Um, but I still think it's kind of like a prize fight where we're in the early rounds and they're still feeling each other out for what it's going to look like in game six, game seven. Yeah, I agree. That's why I asked on the first two games because sometimes it's hard. Game six and seven are a hell of a lot different than game game one or two. I want to go to Clay Thompson for just a second. I mean, it, you know, when you look at the Warriors, Clay's got to be making threes. I don't know. I, you know, every shot that I saw him take, kind of a tough shot, at least in half-court offense. What do they need to do with him? Well, um, first thing is people are talking about, well, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have he doesn't create space anymore. He never really created space. Like that's he's a he's a guy who's made tough shots for a long time. He's a great shooter, but he does it without dribbling. And that's hard in this NBA, especially when again, you only have one guy who's who's creating shots, and that's that's Steph. And Steph's probably more dangerous with the ball than he is with the basketball in his hands. So I think some of it is what you're surrounding him with. In the second half, it looked like, I mean, he was picking and driving. And to some level of success, I think you'll see more of that. I just, like, look, he is who he is now. He's a little bit more limited athletically. He's still pretty good defensively. I thought he did a great job of, of just being there and being in Tatum's face and using his size and length. Um, but he also, I think Boston would sit there and go like, you know, he took a bunch of bad shots or tough shots, but there's going to be a game in which those are all going in. You know, is it game six? Is it game five? Is it game seven? So uh, he's no one's going to be the same when you come back from an ACL and an Achilles tendon, but he wasn't a blur to begin with. So it's not like he's lost the step that he had. He was, he was not John Moran, and now all of a sudden, you know, he's just a catch-and-shoot guy. I think he's a little bit more limited at both ends of the floor. But I also think some of the limitations come from the fact that they have two guys inside that can't score and they only have one guy that creates shots. So I'm not in the panic mode. Hey, Clay Thompson is washed or he's not good enough or he's going to hold him back. I think this is kind of who he has been for a long time, just a slightly lesser version. But I also I, I think we all know there's going to be at least a game coming or maybe two coming where all of those shots, though contested, 
who's got more talent? It's a great question. Um, athletic talent, right? Like Boston's a really good roster, really good roster, right? Robert Williams, a freak, who just, I mean, just erases shots at the rim and can cover out in the perimeter. I know he's got a bad knee, but he's a freak. Brown and Tatum are legit go-to scores. I, I might I might be crazy, but there's a lot of elements to Brown I like more than Tatum. He does all the things that Tatum doesn't do. Um, and so, sometimes he's not, he doesn't have maybe the explosiveness as a score. He can't give you a 50 piece the way that Tatum can, but I like those two. Um, I like Smart. I do think that they know they need, they, they need something else. And they're, they're trying Derek, they want Derek White to be that guy, like the other score because. Marcus just sometimes, I mean, they, with him, Horford, they, would they have combined two points last night? I mean, that's, it's crazy. Um, I think Boston's probably a little bit better roster, but Golden State, it does work together, you know? Um, it, it does work together pretty well. But I, I would say that, that Boston has the better roster. They don't have the experience. And, um, and I also think that, that there's st- the, that Golden State, though the roster in any other style wouldn't work that well with this style, it does. Um, the other part is that Golden State has that has that level of confidence shooting the basketball, especially you look at Jordan Poole. I mean, dude, did you see the the pull up shots he hit? Not the half quarter was crazy, but the one before that, like who right. hits a thirty five footer? Who just pulls up and shoots a thirty five footer within a half court offense? But Steph said something after game one. He was talking about Boston, but it's very much true, where he said uh, confidence is contagious, and they just play with such a supreme level of confidence. I think the X – like, I hate the old X factor thing, you know, like we used to – when we worked at ESPN, like, well, come up with an X factor. But I do think that Andrew Wiggins is that guy, right? Like, dude couldn't make a layup last night, but he's so long, he's so athletic, he can get a step. If they can, if he can ever figure it out here in the series and get his own personal confidence going, I think then they become the better roster, right? Like when you throw Clay and Wig and Steph and and Draymond, a great basketball player, uh, even if he can't score, if you lock him in the gym, um, and then you know you have Looney who just around the rim, kind of junkyard dog it, you know, not a great athlete but great hands and a sense for the ball. I think that's a better team even if Boston's a better roster. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do. That's why I asked the question, because even though you've got guys, you know, I mean, Green and Curry and, you know, Thompson, and you, know, you make the argument who's the all-time greatest, all that. I mean, the roster, Boston's pretty damn good. Where are you at with Draymond Green and his antics? Not necessarily his play, but all the stuff around him. Um, I think it works for him. I think it works for the Warriors. I think I, I, watching last night, it appeared obvious to me that like, Grant Williams is just, he's kind of doing a Draymond to Draymond, right? He's instigating him on inbounds plays. He's getting in his space. He's bumping him. And I'm, I'm guessing that there's a level of genius to that, right? Like if, if Grant Williams gets thrown out, he's a good player. You lose him. He's tough. Make a shot. Very bright. If Draymond gets thrown out, it's the Golden State can't win, right? So I think that if you want to look for something in terms of antics, 
We'll see if in Boston it gets up to, you know, an additional level. Because Draymond, he could have gotten that second tee last – he could have gotten the second tee last night, and it would have been a completely different basketball game. I'm glad they didn't give it to him because the whole thing is just – you know, you know, the the whole thing is just it, like we got to a joke level of what's a technical foul, what's not a technical foul. You know, when they're bumping and banging in the NBA Finals, but I think that's something to look for. Where, where am I with Draymond's antics? It's over the top, um, but now it's like Boston's clearly targeting him, obviously instigating him, and you feel like at some point he's going to take the bait, do something stupid, get thrown out, and they're going to lose because of it. So. I mean, it feels like a very predictable Hollywood script. Um, I just want to see if it comes to fruition. I thought he made a mistake, and I'm anxious based on what you just said. You know, he said after the game, I've earned, basically I've earned special treatment. I got to tell you, um, in a league where when something happens, immediately people point to the conspiracy, Tim Donaghy, this game is fixed kind of thing. If I'm the commissioner, if I'm the head of officials, I'm not digging that statement very much, Doug. I think it's one of those statements that it's better left unsaid, but I actually agree with him. Yeah. Right? I, I, I actually oh, I do agree. too. I do too. The, the league is always – I do too, but don't say it. Yeah. The, the, league is, the league has always protected their stars. And I just – you know, it's one of those things where you don't say it about yourself. You let everybody else say it. And it's going to be interesting to see how the league reacts or how the officials react to what he said, because um, whether it's real or imagined coaches put officials on a watch, right? Coaches say the refs, they got away with everything. And then the next game it shifts. So it's pretty obvious they pay attention to some level of the narrative or press conferences. And uh, I'll be intrigued to see what happens. But you're, you're, you and I, like we completely agree on this one. Draymond has earned special, uh, you know, special exemptions from the usual things. It's obvious that they're trying to instigate him. Um, he is actually a media personality. Like, there's a different way in which he should be handled. But you, saying it runs the risk of an official just trying to prove that's not the case. And I don't, I don't know what the win is in him saying. It. Yeah, it surprised me because that was my first reaction. Like, well, you're going to have two groups here. You're going to have the league office and you're going to have the officials who battle it all the time. I mean, you know, I've been told by numerous guys, they battle the perception that games are fixed or whatever you want to call them, you know, I, what, however you want to phrase it. I just think that's better left unsaid. Would you be surprised if he gets kicked out of the next game? I would not be surprised if he gets kicked out of one of the Boston games, you know. And yeah. and what will probably happen is if one of them gets bad where they're down 20, right, that's when that's what will happen. Um, I don't think it'll be because it feels like, again, I don't believe it's fixed at, at all, at all. If it was fixed, Milwaukee wouldn't have been in the finals last year, right? Like nobody want, nobody watches the Bucks, no matter how good Giannis is, if it was fixed. Um, so... I think even though it's not fixed, it does feel like we're going to have one game in which Golden State steals in Boston, and we'll have one Boston blowout game where they make everything. And the, the blowout game, that's the one that Draymond loses his mind and gets thrown out of. And the only question is, how bad is it? Does it leak into game five when they come back to, to, to San Francisco? 
I agree. No, I, I, I completely agree. What's your take on Jason? Hey, let's Tatum? let's talk. Let's talk. Let's, I, I was listening to you. Okay, you're talking about the women's softball college world series and how good it is, and how much you like. Okay, and I'm going to tell you, I agree with you. Okay, generally, not a softball guy. Okay, can't tell you. And the, the like, you go to a, a teenage softball game, you know, with the cheering and the chanting, you're like, oh, God, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> but I was obviously watching Oklahoma State in the Women's uh, College World Series, and there's a bunch of elements to it. But here's the biggest one. It's what college sports is supposed to be. Because it's not about what's this guy look like in the league? You know, it's not about anything. Other, by the way, they're making a lot of money for Oklahoma City. They're making a lot of money. They're making some money for their programs to make up for the fact that they take a loss most of the year. Nobody's sitting there bitching about how much these kids are getting and whatever. And they, they do become, for a short period of time, a household name. But they're cheering for each other, they're for their school, for their team. They're playing their tails off. Like, it's fun. And... You know, it's like my takeaway that any of these are no. My takeaway is I just sit down, I watch a game, and they're they're playing for their school, they're playing for each other, and they're making great plays. And then, like you said, like those women are talented; they're really, really good. You know, I don't need to compare them to men and to baseball. I don't need the crossover stats; it doesn't work. It's a completely different sport, and so I just enjoy it for the for the two hours that I'm watching it. I, I think it's fantastic. Um, and, you know, I mean, like, look, the, the men's World Series is, is a big-time event as well. Uh, but it's, again, very, very different. But it, it's similar in that these are kind of – feel like the last bastions of what college athletics is supposed to be about, you know, where it's just about your team, just about your school. It's just about trying to win a championship together. That, that's what it feels like to me. You know, my, I, I mean, I've, told, I've probably told you, I tell everybody, my wife is a legendary softball player and coach, winningest coach in Syracuse history, Bowling Green history. Her daughter plays third base for Harvard. And I tell people this all the time. I go, I, I got to tell you, I've watched baseball players forever, and she's got the best hands of any third baseman I've ever seen. I mean, I'm telling you, crazy. However, did you know this, Doug Gottlieb? Did you know that Hannah, or excuse me, Montana Fouts, the pitcher for Alabama, who is a very good friend of my stepdaughter, makes a million a year in NIL money. A million dollars? A million dollars. Yeah, buddy. That's amazing. That's amazing. A million dollars <laughs> is crazy. Good for her. Good, good, good for her. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's I just like, look, we live in an amazing, amazing world, right, where – where everything has, be about, everything has to be about the next thing instead of just the, you know, instead of just the place where you are and the team that you're, you're on. And um, I, I mean, I, I'll just, this is like year, last year, this is a true story. Last year, uh, this weekend, I was coaching the same tournament we just lost in. And the kids, I have a parent who has a, one of those sprinter vans, you know, with the TV in it and the food. And so it's a cool setup, right? So it's the Scott family. And this kid's name is Maxwell Scott. I think he'll be a Division One basketball player. Anyway, we, we play a game, and we have, like, two hours in between games. Right? So it's, it's kind of – it's really hard. Like, you leave the gym. So everybody goes to the sprinter van, 
and the kids go out there and this is like four or five at the time 13 year old kids right usually they're on their phones you know maybe if the nba game's on they're all like hey turn on the college the women's softball world series i swear to god okay th- there's like four or five boys and they're all into it like oh i saw oklahoma last night they're awesome they're sitting there watching it so it does it does resonate with with kids like the energy and the schools and the way they play and them hitting home runs it's fun so it's a weird thing too because you know like look you and i have been on on uh, on college campuses you as a coach me as just a player and then covering it for years and in the pantheon the pecking order on a college campus right it's either football or basketball depending on where you are right those two are above everybody else and then usually maybe women's basketball oklahoma state you got wrestling you got baseball softball's way kind of down there at the bottom nobody pays attention to it but then all of a sudden for these two weeks in oklahoma city like it's the deal so i do think there's something to like we could all figure out like okay what is it about this event that we can translate to other events. And I think the, the big part is that one, it's same location every year. Okay. And that location, just like Dayton for the first four, like they, they, they give a shit. That's a big thing. When the local area gives a crap, that that's a big thing. And when everybody knows that's where we're going, like we're going to Oklahoma city, that that becomes a, a deal. Just like going to Omaha. But I also think just the elements of why it's successful why the kids are so into it, why the coaches are who are they are, why the fans are, are how they are. I think those are elements where you like write it down and try and how do we recreate this one for other Olympic sports, but also how do we translate it to the sports that are become just about the money, not about anything else. Man, I, I look, I agree. And you know, there's a, you know, it's really odd when you, as you know, you go to a college campus and now, the softball fields are incredible. Like I went with my wife, whenever she would travel with me to the ESPN, we'd go look at a softball field. We're like, holy cow. Like, hey, going back to Montana Fouts, we were at the Tennessee Alabama game and football. And Montana was up for homecoming queen. They announced the homecoming queen. It wasn't her. The entire student section booed because it wasn't her. That's how popular that she had been, and she's the greatest young lady ever. She's awesome. But the crowd booed because the softball player. And the other thing I think, Doug, I think this. I think when you look at softball, it's not this big spread out. Like, it shows up really well on TV. Like, when I watch basketball, I've always said this. I don't like watching a game at Oklahoma on TV. I just don't think it shows up real well. I never thought Houston showed up real well. I think Mackey shows up great. I think Duke, you know, all those kinds. There's just, I think college softball with the size of it just shows up great on TV. I think that's a big part. And it's loud. It's very loud. Yeah. I, I do think that the SEC, believe it or not, has kind of nailed it with their basketball arenas, right? It started with Auburn. Ole Miss is the same, where the new, the, their arenas for the most part are, you know, eight to 12,000. Um, and those are bigger campuses than, you know, like Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, that one's too big. And you're like, well, it's only 13-6. Like, yeah, okay, but that's a college town of 48,000, student population of like 25,000. You just don't have the people there, you know, so you have to have the size relative to it. 
And um, I, I think it's it's fascinating that you have, you know, in the desire for more money, more seats, and it just doesn't look as good, right? Like they should, they got to cap it out. Whatever you're thinking the size should be, take down a thousand or two thousand seats, and that's that's exactly what it should be. So, um, yeah, I, I think college softball is a perfect example of that. That that sometimes small, like look, uh, um, here's one. This is how I think the world agrees with you. The Chargers for three years played at the soccer stadium here, like thirty thousand. It was the best. It was amazing. It was amazing to go to a game. Because, I mean, you could see and hear and feel everything. And as much as now they're in SoFi, which is a, a gorgeous stadium, but a little bit impersonal. I don't know if you saw what the uh, the, the, the commanders now, the Washington, their new football stadium is going to be like 55,000 seats. Like people are starting to get that the the days of like, hey, let's put as many seat people as possible. That one, you, though you generate a lot of revenue, you generate more through the boxes, right? You generate more through the corporate sponsors anyway. But also you generate a ton through the viewership and other ways. Uh, other ways. Um, and I just think it looks better. It feels better. It also provides you a better home court, home field advantage. So there's a balance between the two because you can't build a tiny one that's a band box that you're not going to make any money through. It's too much money to not ever get it paid off. On the other hand, bigger is definitely not always better. I agree. Everybody that went to that, what you were talking about, I don't know the name of the place uh, where the Chargers play, but everybody went there. Man, that was a great experience. I probably had five or six different people say that was one of the best professional football experiences they've ever had. I get it. I, I, I do. Let me let me end it with this. Who's going to win the NBA series? Who's going to win the finals? Who who you got? I think the Warriors. I do think the Warriors. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm not dug in on it, but I, I, I just think you know. End of the day, it still feels like, like we all regress to the mean, right? We all regress to the mean. And Jason Tatum, people want him to be Kobe, or they want him to be this top five, top ten level player. I think he he has he has a lot of the traits, but at the end of the day, like. He's going to take bad shots. He's going to, he's going to try and take over. He's going to be a little bit selfish. Um, whereas I feel, I do feel like Steph's, uh, Steph's confidence is remarkable. I feel like Clay has that indelible confidence. They know who they are. They know how it goes. They know, you know, how they're supposed to do what they're supposed to do. Whereas it is all new to Boston. And so this isn't a pressure thing. It's not like you fold under pressure. It's just a, when you get to winning time, those guys know how to complete the task. And I do think that the Warriors, they have this, it's really a remarkable thing. I'm going to credit Kerr as much as anybody, right? So like, what is NBA coaching about? It's about relationships. Clearly has them. You know, he's been able to establish relationships. Though he's not a nitpicker in terms of sets that they run, he's clearly implemented a system that works for all of them and they know how to operate with him. Okay. So there's a level of respect that they have for him. They're trying to do, and defensively they're all in tune, right? They're all bought into how they're supposed to play and where they're supposed to play. But the last thing is the NBA is a game of adjustment. It's not just an adjustment with personnel. It's the adjustment within games. And the adjustment quarter is the third quarter, right? They're the best third quarter team, maybe in the history of the NBA. 
But the point is that while we've had these extremes in game one and game two with Boston and game one and game two with Jordan Poole, you know, where they're not as Boston's not as good as they were in the fourth quarter. They're not as bad as they were yesterday. They're in the middle there. Tatum's going to be better. But one constant is Golden State in the third quarter is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like they just come in and whatever lead you have, they flip it. And all of a sudden you're down 15 and you're left to figure it out in the fourth quarter. And so if you can do that twice in a row, if you can do that, that it just becomes a, here they come, here they come. And I think that in the back of your mind, combined with the fact that they have been there, they know what it feels like, what it tastes like, the plays you got to make. My guess would be that in game six, it felt, it felt to me like it should end games. Like what's left for Steph to accomplish? Win a series in Boston Garden would be incredible. But whether it's six or seven, I think it's the Warriors in what's a really, really good series where they're still kind of filling each other out. No, I agree. No, I, I I agree with absolutely everything you said. That's you know, I don't care. Hey, look, Boston Garden isn't the Boston Garden of Red Arback, but it's still Boston Garden. You know what I mean? There are still some iconic places and iconic franchises, Lakers being one, Boston being another. I mean, it's just the you know, it's just the way it is. Bulls had their run, but the Celtics have always been there. What you got on your show today, big boy? Uh obviously we'll talk about that. Then we'll talk about the talk about the game. Uh, we will talk about the instigators and how that's just, it's a, it's a constant. I've always, I've always said this, you know, like you need a guy who everybody hates from the other team. Right. And I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've had this on your team, right. Or, or even when you play, there's always, there's, there's a skill to it, to being a disruptor, you know, where you get guys out of their game. I, I actually think, you know, an underrated guy for golden state is Gary Payton. Gary Payton's a disruptor. He's he doesn't always follow his defensive assignments. He's a little bit everywhere, but he's a disruptor. He gets under you when you shoot the basketball. But Draymond Green is in the in the world of disruptors. Like he's as good as there has ever been at getting into the head of somebody on their team, at getting into the head of the other fans. And it takes a lot of the negative energy away from the rest of their guys, so the rest of their guys can just play. Right? It allows them to just be free. Because I, I don't, I don't know how Jordan Poole would react if a lot of that pushing and shoving and bumping and chest bumping was directed his way. You know, I know that Steph doesn't love it. You know, I know that Clay doesn't love it. But how it is now and how it's always been, like it actually is a skill that Draymond has to get under other people's skin, and it's really effective. And when you have a guy like that, if he can just play well enough, to keep him on the court, and Draymond can. Um, that's an incredible skill because it, it's what great players do. They make everybody else better. I think that makes everybody else better on his team. And I think if, if it takes one guy off of their game or if it like Grant Williams is worried about nothing else in that game other than trying to get him thrown out and he still pisses them off. So he pisses the rest of that team off. So I do think that that's going to be a focal point of, of my show today. I appreciate you, my friend. Thanks for coming on. That was great stuff. Hey, great John, talk. Hey, Without any question, the most softball I've ever talked, and I, I was listening to you, and I totally agree with you. And it also takes attention away from the fact that I'm an Angel fan. They were 11 games over 500. Oh. And now they're, oh. It's welcome to my world. Mike Trout's forgot how to hit oh, a baseball. That, 
It's tough. Didn't see it's that tough. coming. Tough. Did not did not see that coming, man. Didn't see that coming. Tough, tough being us. Tough being us. All right, Double D. Gonna go hit some, catch some waves, my little guy. Thanks, my friend. All right, buddy. You, That's my friend Doug Gottlieb. He's terrific. Listen to him every afternoon on Fox Sports Radio. Three to seven. You can't miss it. It's very, very good. I listen to it every day on my way home. I do. It's what I do. All right. I got a couple of things. No, we're going to come back and I'm just chatting. I got ESPN. What are you doing? I got an Elon Musk tweet, which I really, really, really like. I got the worst pregame show in the history of the world. Postgame after. Hey, keep it right here. It is Don't At Me. It is a Monday. We are rolling on a Monday. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. You know, if you've listened to my show, one of the things that drives me crazy, whether it's a radio show or whether it's this show, whatever you listen to, it absolutely drives me crazy when young people pass away. It just does. I'm sorry. I, again, I go back to as a kid. I could not watch The Wizard of Oz. I, I don't like seeing little kids get hurt. I don't like seeing young people. I just don't. I mean, not, not that, you know, it's any better when older people die. I don't know. But for me personally, maybe not for you, but for me personally, young people getting hurt, getting injured, getting sick. Uh, in fact, after this show, I'm doing my radio show from uh, Bridgewater Country Club, which is the site of Tyler Trent a young Purdue fan who passed away from cancer and his courage really inspired not only the Purdue world, but also the Indiana world, the Midwest the nation. I don't know. And then, you know, I, I so we're going to go there and we're going to support Tyler's mom and his dad in their golf outing. And, but anyway, I lost a player. I lost a kid named Nate Miller. Nate Miller was a terrific basketball player at Bowling Green. I had the chance to coach Nate, really only one year he transferred I never recruited a kid harder man I didn't I, I went down to Springfield uh, Ohio so many freaking times to watch Nate Miller play football practice for I never went to a football practice before to recruit a kid I did for Nate Miller and guess what he went to North Carolina Wilmington actually interrupted a share concert. My wife and I went to go see share in Savage Hall in Toledo and I'm like hey, I gotta go call Nate See what's going on. Anyway, long story short, Nate Miller went to the University of North Carolina and Wilmington. And then he transferred back to play for me at Bowling Green. He had to sit out, and then he played a year, and then I got fired. But I knew, and I told the athletic director when I was let go at Bowling Green, I go, you know, I'm handing whoever comes into this program a laid-down championship. What are you talking about? I go, I'm telling you right now, you could hire. It don't matter. And you're going to win yourself a championship because you got a couple guys in this program. One's named Nate Miller. is going to be the player of the year in the league. Now, I don't know if Nate ever did that. But in 2009, two years after I was gone and Louis Orr took them, they won a championship. Now, as soon as those guys were gone, the program at under Orr fell under hard times, and he was gone after about four years. But anyway, when Nate was there, you just kind of knew. Once he grew up, man, Nate Miller was going to be something special. And Nate was a lot like me in this vein. He loved little kids. We did a Junior Falcons program. Junior Falcons was a bunch of kids that would come in on Sundays. And what I started, I didn't start the program. Jim and Larry Nagy did, but I enhanced the program. I would give kids candy for showing me their report cards or showing me a test score where they got an A. And the guy who always helped me give out the candy was Nate Miller. 
the best junior Falcons coach, Nate Miller. Some guys are good. Some guys are bad. Some guys don't like being there. Some guys love being there. Nate Miller always loved being there. I recruited him harder than anybody because I loved watching him play sports. Not sure why. Loved watching him as a safety in football. And I thought to myself, man, and I told him this. I said, you should go to Ohio State, play safety. Now I love basketball. I go, all right. But I didn't want to be the guy that, you know, tried to get him to play mid-major basketball as opposed to playing high-major football because I really felt he was that good. Now, look, I'm not a football recruiter, but I do know this. Watching him on a football field in a football state, he just looked different, bigger, stronger, quick. Long story short, Nate Miller passed away the other day. Nate Miller, we got the news, I believe it was Sunday morning, yesterday morning, or Saturday morning. I can't remember which. It's all a blur to me. But Nate Miller passed away. Passed away in his sleep, 30-some years old. Not right. Asthma attack is what I'm being told. Now, I knew Nate had asthma, but I didn't know, you know, who knew? He played basketball. He played overseas. He played uh, in the TBT tournament. He won a championship. I don't think he won a championship with All-Ohio Red, but he was on All-Ohio Red for a few years. I mean, he played a lifetime of basketball and football and, and, and had asthma, and, and all of a sudden, I don't know, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, next thing you know, Nate Miller dies. I hate it. Hated for his family. Great parents. Hated for his community. Beloved in the community. Always doing something once he got done playing professional basketball. Always doing something to help his community. Always involved with kids. I mean, when I say always, I mean that's what he did. A lot of guys do it because that's the only thing they can do, right? A lot of guys do it because, hey, look, I'm looking for direction, so I guess I'll go back to my, I don't know, I'll go back to my rec center. Or I'll go back to where it's comfortable. Not him, man. Nate Miller went back because he loved kids. Loved kids. So, rest in peace, Nate Miller. Praying for your mom and dad. I got another player, Kirk Cowan, man. He's getting a getting a transplant. He's got cancer. Battling like hell. I talked to Kirk about once a week or so. Just found out his sister was a match. His sister is a match. But Kirk's cancer came back. His leukemia came back. It's a rare type of leukemia. I'm telling you, Kirk Cowan from Brooklyn, New York, one of the greatest kids I've ever coached. He had one bad day in the two years that I coached. Jim Larnega did a hell of a job recruiting this kid, Kirk Cowan. Well, Kirk and his, and his wife, Kelly, are battling, man. If you get a chance, keep my former player, Kirk Cowan, in your prayers because that dude, he needs him. Hell, we all need him. But, man, it is really difficult, really, really difficult seeing young people struggle. Difficult seeing my dad, so don't get me wrong. I'm not, but it's just the way I'm built. Young people getting sick, getting hurt, I, I hate it. Uh, I hate this, too. You know, I've said this before. ESPN, I'm watching ESPN right here, and I'm watching, what's that guy's name, C.J. McCollum, and he's sitting like this on his first day at ESPN. If you're not going to be excited your first day at ESPN, what are you doing? You're not going to sit up straight and be bold. What are you doing? We don't have standards anymore. We don't have standards anymore in anything. And ESPN used to be the place where everybody went, right? You got good, you went to ESPN. I was at the Big Ten Network one year. They called me. They said, we want you to do Tuesday night games. Now ESPN's so worried about BS nonsense being the most averse. They don't care about serving the sports. I mean, they just care about nonsense. Well, but and this, this came to a head the other day. Uh, an ESPN broadcaster, some guy named Troy Eklund, said on the air that Tennessee starting catcher Evan Russell, who missed that day's victory over Alabama State, 
said he missed it because of a failed drug test and would be suspended. Like, he said he was suspended for PEDs. Like, how do you just say that? So Tennessee said, uh, no, nonsense. No. Has nothing to do with any violation of team NCAA or SEC rules. The coach, Tony Vitello, said that Russell was sick. Russell's father wrote on Twitter that Russell missed a game dealing with anxiety, stress, and pressure. He was cleared to play a day later. And this clown, Troy Eklund, issued an apology. Like, I worked for ESPN for 10 years. You wouldn't even think about doing that. Like, the one thing they tell you, don't speculate. Just don't speculate. Guy goes down, he's injured. Don't say you think it's an ankle. Guy goes down, tears a knee. You know he tore a knee. Don't say he tore a knee. You don't know he tore a knee. So this idiot, but it's a bigger issue than that with ESPN. It really is. It's a bigger issue. There is absolutely no standards. There's the ESPN has just given in. As long as we're diverse, as long as nobody gets on our ass, we're fine. I mean, if you talk to people that actually know broadcasting, ESPN's television is terrible. I mean, for me personally, I got to where, and this is always sour grapes, I guess, because people think that I left ESPN because they told me to. No, I left ESPN to come here because I wanted to. But the truth of the matter is, how the hell can you go on TV without something substantiated? Hell, I wouldn't go on here without something substantiated and announce to the nation because this is the number one team in the country. I mean, let's be honest. This is the number one team in the country, Tennessee. People are following them. They have been in the news. Tony Vitello, the coach, is kind of viewed as a interesting, if you want to call him interesting, you want to call him crazy, whatever you want to call him. But he's a dude. So this idiot goes on ESPN, but I'm telling you, it's more than that. I'm looking at C.J. McCollum sitting like this on the set, literally like this, on his first day at the job. And not one guy will say anything to to McCollum. Not one guy will try to help him. Why? Because everybody's afraid. Oh, man, we don't want to blank him off. What are you doing? We had a young lady named Jill, Jill Montgomery. Jill Montgomery worked on Tuesdays with us for ESPN College Basketball. She struggled her first game. You know what ESPN did? I said, we'll make you better. Went to go see this guy named Slotsky. She got better. She learned. ESPN now, my God. I mean, they're just completely out of their minds. And they don't even care. As long as nobody tells them. No. Nobody, as long as nobody says they are, don't have diversity. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, say whatever you want. As long as we apologize. Hell, one time, one time during a game, Northwestern basketball game, I said, uh, you know what? Hey, good for, what's his name? Fitzpatrick, Pat Fitzpatrick, whatever the hell his name is, the football coach at Northwestern. I said, he turned down the Michigan job. Good for Northwestern, good for Fitz. ESPN lost their mind. Where'd you get that? I go, what are you talking about? It's right here in the Chicago Sun-Times. Chicago Tribune both had it. Oh. I guarantee you not one person said a damn thing to this guy, C.J. McCollum, or any of the idiots on like J.A. Adonde that have talked so openly about such stupid stuff, or, or any of these other idiots that say, well, you know, Jacob Blake was this or that, or that, that have given false information. They're too afraid. I'm telling you, my wife said it the other day, and it wasn't about ESPN. It was not about ESPN. It was about the world that we live in. There is absolutely no standards. 
Zero. Yay-Rock, go fight win. Uh, our guy, Elon Musk, baby. Elon Musk ain't afraid. And I'm with Elon Musk. I'll tell you right now. We got Musk tweet up. The only thing more remarkable than the DOJ, Department of Justice, not leaking the list is that no one in the media cares. Doesn't that seem odd? The Jeffrey Maxwell, whatever the hell her name is, uh, excuse me, Jeffrey Epstein, Giselle, or whatever the hell her name is, Maxwell client list. We got people all over the place. We, everything is out there except that list. Is that amazing? Now, people try to come at Musk, right? That's what people do. People try to come at Musk and say, well, you know, here's a picture of you and Maxwell. No, Musk handled that very nicely. Musk said, well, we were at a Vanity Fair party. We were at a Vanity Fair party, and Maxwell photobombed him. His question was a great one. Why is Vanity Fair a, I guess, very reputable, I don't know, magazine that people have read for years? Why are they inviting a pedophile and a human trafficker to their party. Can somebody explain that one to me? I think that's the more interesting question. I think the most interesting question is, what are you all hiding? If you don't think the media is complicit in this, you just simply haven't been paying attention. I mean, let's be honest. Elon Musk is absolutely right. Why are these folks that supposedly know everything why are they inviting pedophiles to their parties? And why isn't this client list? Here's Musk's other tweet. Ah, yes, Maxwell photobombed me at a Vanity Fair Oscars party. Uh, you should ask them why they invited her. The same people who pushed this photo say nothing about prominent people who actually went to Jeffrey, Island, Jeffrey Epstein's pedophile island a dozen times. Isn't that strange? It is very strange. Vanity Fair also had a big article about the talented Mr. Epstein. Of course, Epstein did what Epstein does, or what, what everybody seems to do in this, is he allegedly killed himself. There's a lot of shady stuff here with this Maxwell uh, trial. The client list got sealed by the prosecutor. Explain that one to me. I don't know. All I know is this, man. All I know is simply this. When the oligarchy of this country are involved, we cover that crap up. And if you're paying attention even a little bit, and I don't care whether you're on the left, I don't care whether you're on the right. If you paid attention at all, you know that our mainstream media sucks. Period. No ifs. No ands, no buts. They protect the left. I guarantee you, I mean, how many different times did Bill Gates go to pedophilia? I reported a bunch, allegedly a bunch. Bill Clinton, a bunch. Yeah, Donald Trump, a bunch. Exposed his ass too. Bill Gates all of a sudden got divorced when that stuff kind of came out. Coincidence? Maybe. Don't know. But I do know this. 
Somehow, some way, the prosecutor, who is tied in to this, decided, well, you know, I need this client list. I need this sealed. Really? Why? Why? Uh, can anybody tell me? Anybody? Of course you can. We all can. They're protecting the rich. They're protecting the famous. And it's absolutely sickening. I'm just telling you, sickening. It is. I mean, nobody should have any problem with anybody exposing what in the hell and who in the hell went on that island. If we are so interested now in human trafficking, why are we not disclosing what in the hell and who in the hell went on that island? Look, how do you get things done? You get things done through money. Some of the richest people in the world were on that island with some young women who I'm guessing were not exactly thrilled to be, to be there. But hey, uh, you remember James Comey, the dude that allegedly lied all over the place? Uh, his daughter, Maureen, is the lead prosecutor. I don't know. She wanted him, she wanted him sealed. I think about these things. This is why I like being on OutKick, because I just don't give a damn who hits a ball or dunks a ball or whatever. I like to get into some stuff. Uh, by the way, speaking of dunking a ball, I've told you this before. I'll tell you this again, and I'll never stop telling you. The worst pre-post and halftime show is ESPNs, and I miss Charles. I miss Charles deeply. I want me some Charles back. Charles, Kenny, and Ernie, and Shaq to a degree. I, Shaq could go, and I would still watch those three. But the truth of the matter is, um, I like those guys. I have a fervent dislike. And this isn't just this particular group on the NBA Countdown show on ESPN. It's horrible. They got the diversity covered. They got all the things you want covered. Fine. Let's take that away. Jalen Rose is a horrible teammate to people. If you really watch Jalen Rose, does he ever engage others? Or does he just do his thing to make himself popular? You understand what I'm saying? Uh, I'll give you the answer. And everybody knows it. Everybody that's ever worked likes him. Great guy. Nice guy. Nice man. But when you look at pregame, halftime, and postgame shows, you got to have a certain camaraderie. College basketball's halftime show, not the game day show, the halftime show, is totally insignificant. They just put three guys up there, one of which is a friend of, you know, David Seisler, who runs it, and they put him up there. And you're like, oh, all right. Somebody needs to hire Dane Fife. Somebody needs to put Dane Fife on TV. Get somebody up there that has an opinion. But look, everybody knows at ESPN, everybody. Hell, I remember talking to Sage Steele about 100 years ago. Everybody that you know at ESPN knows this halftime pregame and postgame show is the worst and all, they're just trying to give you more Stephen A. Smith. It is unwatchable. I want Kenny back. I want Charles back. Look, ESPN, make this easy on you. Buy TNT's halftime show and bring them over here. Or get rid of the people like Jalen Rose who have been on this show, and it's horrible. Wilbon, please. I like Mike. Mike's great. Fantastic. 
But let's stop thinking that everybody's going to tune in and not think this is garbage. There's no chemistry. There's no nothing. It's awful. And I don't even care. But damn, if I'm going to watch the finals, I don't want to have to go watch two and a half men at halftime, which is what I do because it's just complete crap. Anyway, that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. It is. I mean, geez. Um, There's a couple other things before we go. You know, yesterday, I always tell you when I lose, I'm the only guy on TV that tells you when he loses. Everybody else wants to make themselves out to be so damn smart. Well, you ain't that smart. If you gamble, you lose. I mean, and if you don't know that, then I can't help you. But yesterday was one of those days. It was minus 200. I was going to go again, 2,000 to win 1,000. I should have. I didn't. I went 600 to win 300. Not bad. And I immediately took it out of my account, put it back into my family's account, and away you go. Today, ladies and gentlemen, I don't like anything. I'm not going to lie to you. It may change, but I'm looking at baseball, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'm a little sheepish on baseball. I, I took a bad beat the other day. Took a bad beat. The Reds were up two runs. I live bet them. It was minus 300. I put 300 in there to win 100. I figured, what the hell? They're going to win the game. It's an easy 100. Yeah, what an easy 100. You know what ended up happening? Got my Dupayash beat. If I were going to bet tonight, I would bet. I think, I think the abs are really good, but I do think this. I think Edmonton and the Oilers win at home. I think they win a game. They're plus money, too, plus 115. So my bet for tonight is going to be Edmonton. I mean, we got to have a bet. The hell are we doing? Later on this week, we're going to have Clay Travis join us. We're going to have Damon Bruce from San Francisco. We're going to talk about what's going on there in the series. Uh, we got a monster for you all week. We're working on Herschel Walker. I think it'd be fun to have Herschel Walker. Congratulations, Tommy Lauren who has joined the OutKick Nation as we continue to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And it is truly with your help that we grow bigger and bigger and bigger. We do. It's great. It's absolutely great. I got a big week this week, ladies and gentlemen. I got a member guest golf tournament with my son. So you know what this week's all about? This week's all about getting fit, health, and hygiene. Yeah, that's right, hygiene. I want to smell good. So I'm, I did a triathlon, and I want you to join me. It's a fat man triathlon. Here's what it is. You ready? I got an elliptical here from like 1983. I do two miles on the elliptical. That's the bike. No, well, that's the running. I'm not running. I got bad wheels. All right? Then next to it, my wife bought a Peloton. We got rid of every gym membership. And we got a Peloton. And I do a 15-minute 15 15 bike ride. And then I go in this lake behind my house. And I swim. Actually, we got a pool, too. But I go in the lake because I'm that kind of man. And I put a life jacket on because I don't want to drown. And I swim. Swim for 10 minutes. I told you it was a fat man workout. I didn't tell you you were going to get ready for an Ironman, but that's the start. So try to join me this week and let me know on Twitter what you're doing. Actually, I just lied to you. I got a pool right outside my house. I swim 20 laps. It's like eight strokes a lap. Why would I tell you I was going into the lake? I said earlier on the show, 
Be proud when you're doing well. Yeah, there's a pool my wife put in. It's like, I don't know, this big. So I go, it's it's seven strokes for, uh, I'm big. They're big strokes. So basically down is one lap. So it's seven times 20. It's 140 strokes and it almost killed me yesterday. That's right. It almost killed me. So I get on the elliptical for two miles. I go right next to it to the Peloton. If you saw my elliptical, it's falling apart, which makes it hard. It's not one of those easy, soft-ass ellipticals. Peloton, I did the hard Tabata or something like that yesterday. 15 minutes, kicked my you-know-what, and then I went 20 laps. You'd have thought, swear to God, that I just did a 100-hour marathon. But I'm starting today, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Join me. Let me know how you're doing. Let me know if by Friday or Thursday, because I got this golf tournament that starts Thursday. Today, asses and abs. That's right. Abs, booty, some squats. I got no shot. Hey, uh, Dylan, everybody, thank you. Ryan's on vacation. Got to thank everybody. Corey getting this whole thing set up. I'm going to be at the Trent, Tyler Trent Golf Tournament. Uh, broadcasting live. Hope it doesn't rain. Uh, go to at Tyler Trent on Twitter. They got some auction items I think you'll like. Uh, have a great afternoon, everybody. Rest in peace, my former player, Nate Miller.